Juliet Palmer is a Toronto-based composer, artistic director, and community leader. But listen on to learn what kind of music she likes to sing during a pandemic lockdown. You are listening to New Musings on New Music. This is a podcast where cellist Norma Adams and me, pianist Barbara Pritchard, converse with guests from the world of contemporary art music, exploring some of the fascinating ideas found there and demystifying all those wild and wonderful notes. Today, our guest is Juliette Palmer uh, from Toronto, and we're super happy to have her on the show. Juliet, thank you for being with us. I'm very happy to be here, dropping into your living rooms or wherever you are, <laughs> your basement. <laughs> my basement, yes, in my basement, my cave. Yeah. Um, we always open up our podcast episodes with asking our practitioners or our composers how they got to be the person that we know them as. Like, what was the path to becoming uh, a composer of living music? Okay, right. I mean, I feel like I've told this story many times, so my challenge to myself is to tell it a different way, perhaps, maybe. I'm really interested in built environments and imagined that I was going to become an architect. And then I got kind of waylaid by my piano teacher who sent me off on the path to becoming a pianist and I auditioned and actually I, I got in on piano to university, but also clarinet. So I became a clarinetist and I was doing that and going a bit batty because just doing music um, just felt very narrow from, I'm, I'm really interested in a lot of different things and different ways of being creative. And so at that point I started to uh, study composition and yeah, that led to me, like I graduated from the Auckland University with a master's in time-based art, composition and performance. So that, that was sort of my, my training. And then I went to New York and I worked with Meredith Monk as her intern, um, worked for the Bang on a Can Festival, went to grad school there, and then ended up in Canada, um, thanks to falling in love with the Canadian. So uh, here I am. <laughs> but I, you know, every now and then I'll have a crisis of, oh my goodness, why am I a composer or why am I in music? And and then you know, I, I usually calm down and um, get back into the groove and realize that all the things I'm interested, the other things, like be it plants or um, urban geography, I can bring into my creative practice. So I have two questions that come out of this. And one of them is, is about relevance, because Barbara and I were just talking about that. But the first question is about time-based arts. The, the fact that you were, that they called it that, and it wasn't just performance, seems like the University of Auckland must have been a fairly uh, forward-leaning Yeah, yeah uh, it was forward-leaning. I actually talked my way out of Shankarian analysis in order to <laughs> do, uh, oh, make videos and performances uh, <laughs> at the School of Fine Arts. So that was in my master's program. Yeah, and yeah, my teacher there was Philip Dadson, who's a fantastic 
musician, uh, instrument builder, video artist, all round fabulous intermedia kind of artist. So, and it was through him that I uh, got introduced to Meredith Monk. So, so maybe some of it was driven by you um, and not the program. Yeah, driven by me. But I mean, that that being said, you know, we had a very active yeah. improvisation ensemble that I was part of. In fact, my introduction to composition, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was through the lens of Mary Schaefer's, um, you know, acoustic ecology framework. And that had come, someone I think had been in Toronto and picked that up there. So, yeah, there were, it was a very creative approach to composition. It was about listening to the mm. environment. It was, you know, graphic scores, um, improv. So yeah, not a narrow conservatory kind of approach. And and actually playing, you know, playing involved improvising, but a lot of chamber music and a lot of contemporary music. Like we had a contemporary ensemble that I was in uh, the whole time I was there. So yeah. Yeah, it's a good school. Sounds very rich. Yeah. And actually, speaking of rich, the other thing I'm I just want to credit is that at that time, university education was free. Um, and I think they're trying to get back to that in New Zealand now. But I had six years of free tertiary education. And I want to say how fabulous that is in terms of encouraging young people to take risks and be and follow creative paths. Yeah, just felt so lucky to have had that. Certainly there's a big risk in going to university now in that you're going to be saddled with dozens of thousands yeah. of dollars of debt or uh, at the end and, and uh, the risk is, is twofold yeah, well, if you're going into something why would adventurous. You? And, then, and then you have a certain slice of the population who yeah. can do that and take a risk because they're already wealthy. And so, yeah, so then the voices that you hear coming out of you know, different artistic disciplines are a certain privileged set of voices. So, yeah. Do you find that situation in New Zealand similar to the situation here? Um, well, I mean, I would say like in North America in general, there's more of an acceptance that you pay for tertiary education. So what you choose to go into depends on how much flexibility you have financially. I mean, it's it's less ex, less extreme in Canada, but I, I'm also just wondering about the voices that we don't hear. Yeah, absolutely, and I see it. It's not just the cost of education. I see it, and it's sort of highlighted through this time of the pandemic. Who can afford to hang in there and make art when it's not really happening for almost two years? A lot of people have left and are in other industries, um, and. The other factor is housing. So to be in a active cultural center, so like Toronto, you know, that's really challenging when you'd have to spend a huge percentage of your income on housing. So all, all those are factors that limit who can um, choose to live a life as an artist, not making much money. I mean, that's another argument for basic income or for, you know, a really decent social housing program. So everything is a good argument for yeah, for some yeah. kind of income support, for sure. Um, um, my uh, next obsession mm -hmm. is going to be about basic income. But um, <laughs> okay. right now, the obsession is about music. <laughs> Keep us on track. <laughs> yeah, no, I think 
housing is another is another thing. There's lots of impediments to people becoming artists for sure. And I wonder how as as we move further and further away from uh, it being a comfortable way or a less than uncomfortable way, whether that'll impact who's making the art and what the art yeah. looks like or sounds like. I mean, the the richer the range of voices that are able to be heard, I think that that makes, um, hmm. yeah, like the art form grows and develops in surprising ways. And I think that's better for everyone. So you're a creator of all kinds of sonic art. We know you as a, a composer of instrumental music and vocal music, but you're also, uh, you also run a company called Urban Vessel, which does Mm -hmm. multidisciplinary stuff. Were you always interested in collaborating with people from different fields and, or were, was that, is that a recent thing or is that something? That <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. You started out, you wanted to be an architect and I noticed your partner <laughs> in urban vessels and architects. Yeah, so we found, yeah, Christy Pearson and I founded the company together and, you know, she's not so active, although she was actually just kind of reconnecting and as part of a new project called Rivermouth. So that's exciting. But yeah, I mean, from, uh, again, back to when I was a student, I mean, I was collaborating with other people, but it was me that was doing all the other things. Like I was doing animation and uh, sound design and taking care of, you know, like spatializing the work and moving and, you know, pushing monitors around while playing my clarinet and <laughs> having projections onto me and, <laughs> you know, and I, at a certain point I was like, ah, what would it be like if I got someone else to do some of these things? And still I do, I mean, pandemic times was a, a time when, you know, a lot of us were thrown onto our own uh, resources and ingenuity. And so I did get back into making more video work, which has been really fun. Hmm. So I, I'm creative in a wide-ranging way. <laughs> and actually, yeah, the, the time-based art, that I did make a lot of video work at that point and work with um, film, like film loops and animation and stuff. Yeah, very hand, hands-on animation, like collage cutouts and stop-motion, actual stop-motion where you, yeah. yeah, not so digital because it wasn't digital. <laughs> Yeah, actually, actually yeah. took a lot of pictures. Yeah. 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 Can Can you tell tell us some more about the things you've done through Urban Yeah, it, it yeah. was fascinating. Can Can you describe some of the I projects? Think like over or... time, it feels like it's been a way for me to just be outdoors, <laughs> and it's not necessarily how. Oh, actually, it did begin in a kind of a project that four musicians converged from across the city playing wow. improvising and then they arrived in this atrium uh, this fabulous building um at u of t it's a chemist pharmacy building or something anyway so that that was sort of the first thing we did and then we were in a swimming pool um the harrison baths and so that project slip was a site-specific performance. We moved through the changing rooms into the huge space with the swimming pool. The performers were in the pool. I was in the pool. I swam one length underwater with colored lights in my bustle of my dress. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was fun. And 
And then we made a film there, kind of riffing on some of the experiences we had. And actually now full circle again, we're just meeting again with the filmmaker, Chelsea McMullen, who did that first version of Slip to do a, a follow-up version where we really look at um, gender in a non-binary fluid way in that space. Because obviously swimming pool is very uh, tightly demarcated in terms of gender. So opening that up. What else? We've done well, some, some works that are more like opera. Stitch, three women and three sewing machines. That work toured a little bit. Uh, voice box, which is a structured as a fight night. Um, and we spent a lot of time training in a women's boxing gym. That was super fun. And in the show we had like a fight might be a round of insults that are going through the alphabet or having a cup of tea could be a fight or punching a pumpkin. <laughs> um, so very, that was a super fun show. And then voice box. Um, no, yeah, that was voice box. And then um, sweat, some more recent sort of operatic work, which ended up being produced in New York uh, with Center for Contemporary Opera and then Bicycle Opera Company in Canada. They toured that. And we're going to make a film version of that coming up the next year or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it was also done in LA at CalArts, did a production of that. Yeah, and I was on a beach in Japan playing with plastic and styrofoam garbage for another piece <laughs> called uh, Ukiyo Floating World. I mean, lots of things. And I think of Christine Duncan um, crawling out from under a bed <laughs> in a show we did called Boots, which is about her. Uh, obsession with beautiful boots. She has this amazing collection of flu bogs. I follow. I follow her on Instagram. I, I know Christine. Yeah. I follow her on Instagram, and mm -hmm. you want to check out the number of shoes that she has by Mr. Flubog. It's incredible. It's something. Yeah, we need to reprise that show now that her collection has, has grown, grown even more. It'll be like a four-hour <laughs> show now. <laughs> It was a fun show too. Like we, people in the audience, it was in a bedroom of a historic house. You know, people got to try some on at a certain point and yeah, there were little Gertrude Stein texts inside of them that became like, you know, starting points for improv and yeah, it was very, very fun. Yeah. So there we go. I keep having fun in all these pieces, which is good. <laughs> Well, it sounds a little like you're not hemmed in by anything traditional or uh, it, you're not hemmed in by having to create notes on a page, but you must still create pieces that are notes on a page for instrumentalists to recreate. I do. Yeah. 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 Does that feel limiting somehow or, or is it just another, another way of working? It's just another way of working. Um, sometimes it's nice to have a break from... Well, like, I, you know, I did a project with Urban Vessel called Singing River, which was just massive. Um, I don't know how many, felt like hundreds of people involved and different choreographers and sound artists and powwow dancers and, you know, like something like that to pull off is exhausting. And uh, so to sit down and write an orchestra piece can seem kind of a, 
a nice reprieve. <laughs> it's like, wow. oh, it's just, it's just me and this, you know, com my computer and the piano and um, a lot of notes. Hmm. Hmm. So that can feel more uh, restful in a strange way. Yeah, less logistics. You're not producing yeah. it. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, you produce things, you know how all-consuming that can be. Yes, yes. Do you play an artistic role in Urban Vestal or are you just kind of an overseer? I mean, it's something like voice box. I mean, I wrote the music, I did the sound design. I, I was in the show. I was singing, I was dancing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, other, you know, other things I might step back. So coming up um, this project called Rivermouth, which um, we got funding from the Digital Now program at Canada mm -hmm. Council. So that's uh, an interactive audio, it's like geotagged audio at the mouth of the Humber River, the Kobuchinok River. And so there are 10 people and myself involved in that. And some are creators, others are more consultants, like they might be scientists, anthropologist, architect. Um, I will probably make some something there, but it's more, I guess my concept and then I'm making this space for other voices to be heard. Yeah, it just depends on the depends on the project. So I know that beyond your work as a creator, you're also an activist. You're a community person, and <laughs> one of the things that I know you do out in the community is that you're the chair of the Canadian New Music Network. And I know that because I'm the vice chair. <laughs> That's not the only reason that I know that. But I'm just tooting my own horn as your vice. <laughs> yes, I think you're even we're presidential. I think we are. I'm president. You're vice president. Oh, presidential. How... Okay, not chair. Not chair. Yeah. Chair. Okay, no, no, I don't I think we're chairy. No. Yep. no. Own it, Norm. Own it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, sad that we haven't spent more time talking about the Canadian New Music Network on this podcast yet, since I'm the vice president of it uh, and so i thought this would be a great opportunity for you to tell us mm -hmm. just a little bit about cnmn and what uh it's been doing and what it stands for because it's a fairly amazing organization of some really smart people that are making what we do more relevant i think if we look at it through the lens that cnmn provides we can see that there's some real relevance there can you tell us a bit yeah. about that Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Canadian New Music Network brings together many different uh, parts of the ecology of creative new music and sound in Canada. And I, yeah, I've been involved for the last few years. I'm really excited about a number of initiatives that we have. Um, actually, right now, Forum is underway, which in the past would have been an in-person gathering every two years at a different place in Canada, but we're online, which means anyone can um, take part or at least engage with the material. So we've produced a lot of videos that are on some really um, significant topics. And the theme of Forum this year is uh, listen up, activism in music and sound. And I'm just, I feel like I should be checking my notes. I'm getting it right. Um, there are five areas. It's like 
land access, indigenous resurgence, community, and what's the fifth one? Innovation. Innovation, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So some really fascinating practitioners from across the country and also people who are outside Canada engage in conversations, sharing about their work. Um, Then there is like a short form showcase, which we're really excited. We've gotten the most kind of diverse bunch of creators responded to that call. So that makes us feel like, yeah, we're starting to have a bit more of a presence and a profile outside, you know, perhaps a little niche world that we might seem to be part of. So those are short video works that you can check out online, some really creative ways of making work. Olivia Short, I can't even describe the video piece that she made. It's kind of performance, uh, almost like a mystery, but it's about museums and memory and indigenous culture and trauma and yeah I you just have to see some of these things to (laughs) to to, yeah to grapple with the new directions people are taking uh musical creativity so there's that and then um what I love visiting is PCM hub which is the participatory creative music hub incredible work on there from people who are unleashing creativity through music and sound practices with participants who maybe are in the you know incarceration system in hospitals oh ding dong what was that very nice it's one of Lovely. Barbara's special editions to each of our episodes <laughs> yeah ding dong leave it in. so yes pe- people in uh, prisons schools hospitals uh long-term care facilities we've commissioned videos from each of these practitioners so they and some of them are really fun they're all engaging and unique in how they're enabling people who aren't uh trained musicians to in a group setting get creative and and make stuff together so i find it really inspiring we're going to be talking to louise campbell the director of the music hub uh later on in this season oh right well i won't give away too much (laughs) people will be so excited they'll want to listen to both episodes well, and, the, and then the last the last program I just want to highlight, uh, Connections, is a mentorship program. And it's not just mentoring um, around artistic practice. It could be that you are, I don't know, you've got your own ensemble and you want a mentor to help you navigate the kind of organizational aspects of that. So it could be arts admin, it could be curation, it could be um, it could be a creative practice, it could, you know, performers have been mentored, all sorts of people. So yeah, we'll match you up with someone in the network and you'll have a number of sessions and yeah, go from there. Mm. So, and I, I think there was a really strong uptake, particularly during, uh, you know, last year, people were, not able to do the things they would normally do and thinking, okay, what skills do I need? And how could I get support to maybe make a change in my work, work life? 
So yeah, and there's just a really great bunch of people on the board, Norm included. Yeah, and Ter- Terry Ron is the executive director who is fabulous and just doing amazing work. I think it's been amazing the way in the last few years that CNMN has kind of transformed from kind of a academic new music network to this kind of super socially involved grouping of people. And mm-hmm. it's not just egghead new music people like me and Barbara that are taking part. It's, <laughs> it's all kinds of all yeah. kinds of uh, all kinds of folks are involved and, and it certainly feels mm-hmm. uh like a healthy place to be. I can't wait for the next. I mean, the, the funnest thing about CNMN was always the forum and going and getting to meet up with yeah. these people that you read about and that you listen to, you know, in concerts. And so I can't wait for the next forum. It's going to be uh, doubly exciting because not only will we get to hang out together, uh, but also there'll be, uh, it'll be a br- even broader community of people that take part. Yeah. Yeah. We'll start to really build those relationships that we've begun online um, and little breakout rooms and uh, Zoom meetings, but to actually meet people is going to be pretty, pretty exciting. So yeah, I guess stay tuned for 2023, maybe. <laughs> I hope, I hope. Yeah. And, you know, we, I just want to say that like we have an amazing board um, who are, you know, I've got some incredible artists on the board, like Julie Richard from Montreal, who uh, has, I mean, she does all kinds of things, but she has a project um, bringing to life music by black women uh, composers from the, I think it was earlier 20th century. Rob Thompson is the curator for Talking Stick Festival and, uh, great musician in his own right so from vancouver so people from right across the country um i could go i could go on but check out the website Mm -hmm. and uh norm is going to say the website name here well i will uh actually link people to it from our from our website we'll send people there yes we will thank you good job (laughs) see that's what you meant to do we're on the board is you meant to promote yeah, I know. This is why I feel really, really irresponsible not having mentioned this enough before. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask something that's sort of apart from all this. I'm curious to know what you listen to for pleasure when you're not doing all these other wonderful things. <sighs> it's a really good question. Um, listening. Okay, like listening to recorded music or if I go to a concert? Either. Okay, either. Everything Mm -hmm. both. Well, I haven't been to too many concerts in a while, but that hopefully is starting to change. I mean, we haven't all been as lucky as you in Halifax. No, that's true. true. But actually, one lovely thing uh, during the pandemic, so I live with a composer, James Rolfe, and um, we were, I don't know, we're like at home and... (laughs) not going into any concerts so we started to sing together so over the last year and a half we've been singing a lot of dowland um and that whole kind of repertoire of lute songs so yeah i'll play piano james sings i'll sing a harmony part and it's just been really lovely doing that (laughs) and then um kind of 
not growing out of that, but just happened to happen that um, I, I wrote a couple of songs to poems by some friends. James was commissioned to write a few songs as well, actually quite a number um, of younger Canadian poets. So he's been singing those and I've been playing piano. So that's also been really, yeah, really, really fun. And then, you know, we also got onto a thing where, particularly in the wintertime, instead of going for that after dinner walk, we might do a late evening dance session. Um, <laughs> so we were dancing a lot to Fela Kuti, so kind of Afro pop Nigeria from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And then there's a stack of CDs. People give us CDs. We'll go through those. Like if I'm going to put recorded music on, it might be like more vocal early music or funk. I don't tend to put orchestral music on. Let's say that. And I just kind of skip the whole romantic era. <laughs> just... Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I will. I mean, Schubert's not that romantic. I like Schubert songs. Yeah. You're also a great concert goer, though, in good in good days. Oh, right? yeah. 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 I mean, that's a weird thing. It's like, uh, you know, we'd be out four or five, sometimes six nights a week hmm. going to see stuff. And it's not just concerts. It's be dance and theater. Um, so yeah, I had a, a nice little rest of the last year and a half. Okay, okay. <laughs> got more sleep, I think. That's putting a po <laughs> that's putting a positive spin on it anyway. Yeah, I didn't yeah. stay up too late. Yeah. <laughs> Read a lot of books. Yeah. Do you feel like your roots in New Zealand have influenced the way your your music sounds? Do you feel like you carry your nation with you as you? Do you think of yourself as a Canadian composer, I guess? Oh, uh, oh that's a very heavy, I mean, that's a complicated question. Um, cultural identity, yeah. place. Yeah. Um, yeah, like there's a lot of baggage around that. So, um, you know, New Zealand and Canada are both colonial countries. I am from settler stock of both places you know i chose i had the privilege to choose to come here uh be an uninvited guest uh on stolen land and here i am so uh my i mean my cultural heritage is you know is eurocentric that being said i did grow up you know i grew up in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we grew up at school. We learnt some Maori language. We learnt uh, Maori action song. Like most kids in New Zealand would learn that. Um, and I think that's actually that's a pretty cool thing to learn because it's it's singing. It's but it's also movement. So I think that integration of singing and movement is definitely. I mean, I, I don't wouldn't necessarily pinpoint it to that, but you could say, okay, perhaps that informed it. And then, you know, as a kid, I also lived in Singapore for five years, um, 
And so being in that cultural environment, which is pretty rich, um, even just the street life and the kind of like there would be in the market Chinese opera, not like high end Chinese opera, but, you know, more of a folk form uh, and the kind of, you know, hearing the the Muezzin call the faithful to prayer, like how many times a day, every day, Uh, music from temples and like just hearing and living amongst many, many different kinds of music. Uh, yeah, it does have an impact. So I would say that's as important as, you know, childhood in, in New Zealand. And then, you know, what's the music that my parents listened to and my grandparents, like I, my grandmother played piano for silent movies. She played a lot of Schubert, Schubert and Chopin, um, and my aunt was a piano teacher. You know, I played music with my mom. Uh, my dad loved jazz. So, yeah, just all those all those influences kind of have an impact on who I am, which is pretty eclectic. It's pretty, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty eclectic and quite rich, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's nice. And, I mean, I've studied different things as, an, you know, subsequently, like, in the last 10 or 20 years. I mean, I took taiko drumming lessons and Japanese folk singing lessons and a little bit of Carnatic singing and not to become an expert at anything, but just to have a different perspective on particularly vocal vocal work because I was, and still am writing a lot for voice and working uh, in a way that would bring together different vocalists of different traditions into a shared space and so trying to understand those different forms so i could work with people respectfully and with a bit of nuance i noticed that especially uh, to this morning listening to a bit from uh, an excerpt from stitch where mm. you had where you had people from three or four different languages all all singing simultaneously it was a really beautiful yeah. sound world slash effect um yeah and that actually, yeah, that resurfaced in Sweat, um, where we worked with the mother tongues of, you know, whoever's in the cast. So there's a section where they're singing a lullaby, and I do different versions. Like I rewrite it um, depending on what languages people speak, and then it kind of works together very nicely. Yeah. So, Julia, tell us. So, what have you got on the books right now? What What are your next projects, um, either actually happening or ones that you're dreaming of? Yeah, it feels like September and October kind of revved up at high speed, and that although the pandemic does continue, it feels like we're moving into a a new phase, which is kind of exciting and a bit dizzying. But yeah, so lots of projects are starting to land. Um, actually, I just finished doing the orchestration for another artist project. Um, Zoe Priceless Roy, who's a fabulous spoken word artist, originally from Regina. And uh, she is touring with the Regina Symphony to different high schools. And her piece is called Enough is Enough. So I did the orchestration for that. Um, so that'll be pretty fun. Oh, I was just at the Brickworks in Toronto, which is, I don't know if you've been there, but it's a really great place. It's like an old Brickworks that is kind of a cultural 
pub and there's a beautiful park which is made from the old quarry and so over the last two years <laughs> it wasn't meant to be two years but because of the pandemic it all stretched out and changed in its nature but we were exploring ideas about home and belonging and so a lot of that work went online but we've ended up now we have four really beautiful uh, dance films choreographed and videoed by Aria Evans with audio collages that I um, have made in collaboration with a bunch of vocalists from across North America. <laughs> uh, and I worked with Ayelet Rose Gottlieb, wonderful composer and vocalist from Montreal on those. So those are going to actually land on site in person. Like we're just figuring out how that will happen in December. So some version of performance installation. That is exciting. Um, I'm doing the sound and music for a play at Tarragon called Orphan Song, where most of the actors are speaking in an invented language because they are either early humans or Neanderthals. So that's kind of trippy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ooh, what else is coming up? Yeah, working on a project with Jenny Lozon and Karen Kaja um, and director Bruce Button, um, who's based in Calgary. So we'll see. We're kind of in a development phase for that. We are yeah, all kind of performer creators in that piece, which is about aging. So there you go. I mean, another, oh my God, I've got so many things. Um, <laughs> bu Bubble Life, another project with Gregory O and his wife, Courtney Chung Lancaster, who's an actor, and uh, their little person in their life, Jones. So that's kind of looking at bubbles, all different kinds of bubbles, be they social housing, um, bubbles that you blow. We're just in a research and creation phase of that, but we have been making enormous bubbles and, <laughs> and, and different people have, you know, made audio diaries for us of their time during the last lockdown. So yeah, we've got a lot of, a lot of really interesting material to work with. So, yeah. And then the, yeah, the river mouth project that I mentioned before. So there, there are lots of things in the pipeline and I'm excited to see them land and hopefully land in a way that involves bodies in space and place together. <laughs> yes. I'll be, I'll be really excited to see how that, how that all turns out. Yeah, me too. To hearing about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys have been having concerts. <laughs> yeah, we've been having concerts uh, sort of off and on. We, but mm -hmm. when it's when it's on, it's on. It's relatively on, and mm -hmm. uh, when it's off, it's all the way off. But uh, yeah. yeah, we've been having concerts. Yeah, well, I'm excited. This thing at the Brickworks in December. I'm hoping it's a bunch of vocalists, right. and I know there's such a pent up uh, appetite for people to sing together. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to making that happen. Juliet, thank you very much for your time today. You are uh, an incredibly productive person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, don't, 
I don't always feel like it. And I, I have to say, I had a board meeting with for my company last week for Urban Vassal. And it's great because you have to sit down and like it was the AGM. Yeah. I had to do like, what have I done in the last year? And I looked at it and I was like, this is taking me forever to write. I thought I was I being know. such a slacker, but actually... <laughs> It's hilarious. A lot, a lot happened. <laughs> it's hilarious when we start to have to list it all down. And, yeah. and you go, uh, then oh. you realize, oh, I forgot about that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like, whoa, this is exhausting. <laughs> but great. So, yeah, very fortunate to, yeah, to work with really good people and to have the opportunity to make, make stuff. Well, yeah. we appreciate your energy to mm. want to keep making stuff because uh, it's inspiring, certainly to me. But to lots of others, lots of others as well. <laughs> Juliet Palmer, thank you very much for your time with us today. And uh, please continue your high energy <laughs> and your great creative pursuits. Thank you, Norm and Bob. Thanks for having me on the show. I think I just keep the energy up with lots of chocolate and I'll be good. <laughs> chocolate and coffee. <laughs> You've been listening to New Musings on New Music, demystifying contemporary music, produced by Suddenly Listen Music. Check our podcast website for links to music and information that will eliminate and illustrate our discussions. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on new episodes and podcast news. Suddenly Listen acknowledges the support of Arts Nova Scotia, in the presentation and production of this podcast. Thanks for listening.